I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear? that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible Word to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls and to our perseverance in Jesus' precious name. Father, help me. Once again, hit this passage and cover what we've covered and hit other angles of it that we may know you in your ways in this great salvation more clearly. And give us this day hearts to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our second week in this long passage in Hebrews 3. So first let me take a, a bird's eye view now of what we saw last week. Beginning there in verse 6, he says... We are God's house. We belong to Him if we hold fast. And then verse 7 begins with the word, therefore, which means he's now going to explain and to apply that if clause. And so what he does first is he quotes 
Psalm 95, the recounting of the hard-heartedness of the vast majority of Israel under Moses in the wilderness where God in His anger said there in verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then the conclusion that the writer draws from Psalm 95 is verses 12, 13, and 14. Be careful, Christian, that you're not like them because you will not enter the eternal rest if you don't persevere in faith to the end. And then he supports and explains verses 12 to 14 in verses 16 to 19 by interpreting Psalm 95, concluding with, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of no faith. Unbelief. Now, one more time, I'm going to be redundant. Here's my paraphrase. To just restate it again and totally in other words so that you understand what I've said so far and you'll have to judge whether I'm right or not. Going back to verse 6, the writer tells us, because of the truth that we are true Christians if we hold firm to Christ until the end. Therefore, we need to pay really close attention to what the Holy Spirit says in Psalm 95. Christian, don't harden your heart like Israel did in the wilderness because it led to their destruction and ultimate failure to enter God's promised land of rest over the Jordan. And therefore, every professing Christian must be warned and take careful heed that they don't let their heart slowly become hard with unbelief, leading them to fall away from the living God. Because that will prove that they never really were in Christ with true saving faith. And so the way to take care of your heart and to keep trusting God is to encourage each other day after day after day so that none of us slowly gets hardened by sin and unbelief. Okay. So last week, we concentrated on the if clauses of verse 6 and verse 14. Verse 6, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed 
we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay. Now, a very contentious issue among us Christians in this world is a big question. Can a believer, a Christian, lose their salvation? Now, as far as I can tell, there are essentially three views among evangelicals on this question. The first is that there are those who would say that a person can truly be born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are actually in Christ. God did justify them. But then, subsequently to that, they fall away. They lose that justification. They lose the salvation that they had. And they die in that state, and they go to hell. These people view salvation as primarily a human decision. It's ultimately your decision to pull the lever to put you into Christ. And therefore, if down the road, subsequently, because that lever pulling in that theology meant you caused new birth. In other words, that decision comes before and causes new birth. Therefore, down the line, you can grab that lever and push it back the other way and undo it all and you lose your salvation. So, that's the first view. Now, among those who, who believe that true Christians cannot lose their salvation, there are two very different and distinct views among them. The first is this. There's one camp that argues that perseverance in faith is not necessary for final salvation to be secured. Their motto is once saved, always saved. They contend that to make final salvation require perseverance to the end makes salvation depend upon works. And from that, assurance of salvation would be impossible. What if down the road, in the future, I fall away? I can't see the future. How could I ever have assurance? And so they say all that matters is that at some point in time, the, the person felt a sincerity that did. And I asked Jesus to come in to my heart. And at that point, there was 
Sincere faith, saved, done with. Once saved, always saved, no matter how you live. This view is also based upon the idea that saving faith is a totally autonomous human decision. And it's not a gift of God by His grace that He imparts. And so at a point in time, the sinner was sincere, as far as he can tell, and made a decision for Christ. Pulled the lever. And because he pulled that lever, all the benefits of salvation come pouring out upon him. And none of us can stop that process. Some have gone even so far in American evangelicalism, without quoting them right now, I used to in years past when I would deal with this issue, I would quote them, but they would go so far to say that even if you apostatize, and say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Too late. You're going to heaven. You don't have a choice because you cannot undo it. Once saved, always saved. All right. Then there is what I'm contending for. It's my view. I think it's the biblical view. And it's, we broached it last week. And that is this. Every genuine believer, every person who's actually been regenerated by God the Holy Spirit, born again, thus it produced saving faith. Every one of them cannot lose their genuine salvation. But there is a thing that we call a false faith. Meaning, it's possible for some who profess faith in Christ to fall away from that and thus demonstrate that their faith was never genuine. But saving faith, by its nature, will through many battles and wars and sinful nature, it will persevere to the end. What we saw last week is that continuing in faith, persevering in faith to the end does not mean that you will become saved or justified. No. But it is the evidence that you are truly saved. There's a huge difference. Look at verse 14 again. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Have become is a perfect tense verb. It's a past tense Greek verb. 
It happened in the past and from that moment with ongoing continuous action up to the present. That's what the perfect tense denotes. Something in the past has happened. We have become sharers in Jesus if we hold firm to the end. So it does not say we will become sharers in Christ in the future if we hold firm to the end. It says we have become in the past sharers of Christ if we hold firm to the end. In other words, the holding firm, the persevering in faith is what verifies or gives evidence to the reality that something real and lasting has in the past happened to you. That is, we have been truly born again, raised up with Christ in heavenly places, sharers in Christ, His house, partakers of the heavenly calling. And so the point is, now, if that's true, what do we do with the reality that there are many people who have made a profession of faith in Christ with dramatic changes in their lives? Churchgoers, church members, maybe even pastors, but then, down the road, they harden and harden and harden. Gradually pull away from the gospel, church life, faith in Christ. And so they don't hold firm to the end. What do we make of it? The answer, biblically, is not that they stopped being a partaker of Christ. The answer is, it shows they never truly became a partaker of Christ. You remember how John says it in his first letter? They went out from us because they are not all though they're in the physical church, of us. They went out in order that it may be shown or become clear that they are not all of us. For if they are of us, they would have not gone out from us. Verse 14 says very clearly, For we have become sharers. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So if we do not hold fast until the end, you be the judge. My logical conclusion is then it shows we have not become sharers in Christ. The theological implication of this is that, and this is the good news, believer, all true truly born-again persons who have 
heard the heavenly calling. They're in Christ. Spirit dwells within you. They're eternally secure. But they're not eternally secure whether or not they persevere to the end. No. They're eternally secure because God will sovereignly see to it that they do persevere in faith to the end. Let me just try to take the big ball of wax of salvation here in a nutshell. Just say it this way. God's elect, whom he saves, all of them, but those elect on a different level all have a responsibility, if I can put it that way, to repent and believe. How are they going to be saved if they don't believe? How are they going to believe without hearing the gospel? And that is why the gospel, it comes to all of those elect and after the presentation of what Christ has done for, for anyone who would believe, dying for their sins on the cross and being bodily resurrected from the dead with eyewitness accounts, it says now to them, right, what must we do, Peter? Answer, repent and believe. And every single elect person eventually does do. And then they keep hearing the scripture and they read it and they hear it preached and they see, oh my goodness, look at that. I, I came to faith in Christ because God sovereignly caused me to be born again and I didn't do anything to deserve that either. He put that within me. And then you know, he who began that, he will complete it all the way through till the day when Jesus returns. Okay, and now a month goes by and a year goes by and two years later and then you sit here and your pastor's preaching through the book of Hebrews. And, and you look at it down in your own page to see if it's not true. And you read text like this that say to you now as the elect, take care. Take care to persevere to the end, to fight unbelief, which is the evidence that you have truly been saved. And thus a Christian's response to texts like this is what? It's, yes, I, I better, because the Bible teaches me very, very clearly. Only, it's only true Christians who, who do make it to heaven, to the glorification. Th those ones are the ones who persevere to the end. He who began that good work in me, where my confidence lay now in the perseverance, he will complete it. He started it, he'll end it, he's purchased it all. And so in this sense, God's sovereignty and then on a different plane, human responsibility are not at odds. 
Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, to us who sit here as professing Christians this morning, it is a strong appeal to persevere in faith, which means genuine believers take heed to that warning. They hold fast to their love and trust in Christ. We read this morning, the treasure in the field as imperfect, sinful persons and dwelt by the Spirit. But nevertheless, they press on. But false believers will eventually grumble against God fall into a sinful heart of unbelief manifested in all kinds of ways. And ultimately, you can say it this way according to our text, fall away from the living God. We all know that the visible church, not the invisible church, everyone in the invisible church is truly a part of the church. The visible church on earth throughout the centuries does not mean everyone who's attached to it is actually a part of the invisible church. But we all know that the visible church has many people who make professions of faith, who get baptized, who endure for a time. and Then they fall away and forsake trusting in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of person the writer of Hebrews has in mind. And so he warns us all, we're all professing Christians, that the way that we keep our assurance of our salvation, his answer is verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. For or because we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice that word for, the beginning of verse 14, right? For, this is true, here, here it is, which means verse 14 is the writer's theology that undergirds his exhortation in verses 12 and 13. His theology is, if you're a true believer, it's proved by persevering faith. Therefore, verses 12 and 13. That's what the passage says. That's its structure. Therefore, take care. 
Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, verse 12, his exhortation to all people who sit in a church on Sunday morning and say, I love Jesus. I believe in him. He says to us, take care. See to it. Be about it that none of you professing Christians see to it that you don't slowly become hardened by sin and thus have an evil heart of unbelief which will lead some eventually to fall away from the living God. All right, so th- that's going to lead to the first obvious question we've got to deal with. What's, what's he talking about? What, what does he mean by falling away? Because if you're listening to what I'm saying, that question should come in your head then. So let me rephrase the question. If not persevering in faith to the end, okay, if it means that we were never truly in Christ or a partaker of Christ, then what would we be falling away from? What does it mean to be falling away from the living God? Okay. To get at the answer, stay in the immediate context. Okay? Because verse 12 is a conclusion that he draws from Psalm 95, right? Where he says, like in verse 9, Your fathers put me to the test, and they saw my works. They're right there in the midst of it. of Supernatural provision for 40 years. Still, the point is this in Psalm 95 that he quoted. They still hardened their hearts against God. In other words, they had seen the 12 plagues. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They were now set free from slavery in Egypt. They drank water day after day after day coming out of a rock. They ate manna that appeared every morning and then quail coming out their nostrils. And they had God's guidance, the cloud by day, the fire by night. Oh, how blessed they were. They got all the benefits of that stuff in the wilderness is his point. But the vast majority of them did not have faith. They did not trust Yahweh. They had no love for God. And it was demonstrated again and again by their murmuring and complaining and their idol-making. So his point is they were in the congregation of Israel. 
They, for 40 years, tasted the powers of the age to come. That's how the writer will say it, isn't it, in chapter 6 of Hebrews when we get there. They had tasted the power of God's miraculous provisions for 40 years, and then they became more and more hardened and fell away from any semblance of faith or love for God. And so it is today. So it's been for the last 20 centuries of church history. People can be swept into the community that the gospel creates. And thus they taste the powers of Christ, the powers of the age to come. They have the grace of that sanctified people all around them in the church. And they have the constant blessing of what's happening right now. The preaching of the Word of God to them. They've been baptized. They've partaken of Holy Communion again and again. They heard the Word preached week in and week out and even made moral improvements in their life. But as with Israel, their hearts became hard and they fell away from the living God. And the book of Hebrews explains that they had not become ever truly partakers of Christ. They had become partakers of a measure of truth, the gospel. They've, they've tasted an enlightenment, the power of the Christian community itself. They had all those blessings. But, but to use Jesus' own words from Luke 8, He said it this way. And the ones concerning the gospel come into them, right? That's context, the word. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away it's possible to be extraordinarily blessed to be in the local church to experience the blessings of, of the spirit of worship all around you the word preached in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church's meetings and all along to be lost, unregenerate in unbelief with no saving faith or love for Christ. We know this, don't we? I mean, Jesus warned against this kind of false belief, false faith in Matthew 7 quote not everyone who says to me Lord Jesus Lord 
will enter the kingdom of heaven in the future. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that future day, many will say to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in the name of Jesus? Did we not cast out demons in your name? That sounds very Christianly, churchy. And in your name, did we not in the name of Jesus, because of our Christianity, do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, we're not done yet. Let that sit. Because now that raises this other big question. In light of what I've just said, if it's true, you be the judge, then how are genuine believers to have any assurance of their salvation? I mean, what shall we do? The answer to that question is verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 is the general statement at large. This is, what, this is it. This is what you do. Verse 13 repeats it more specifically and unfolds it. Take care, brothers. This is verse 12. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a general statement, specifically. But what? Exhort one another daily, every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. So for just the only little time we have remaining, I'm only going to deal with verse 12, and then we'll come back to verse 13 next time. So, here is how all Christians are to live. Verse 12. Here's the command. Take care. Take heed. Be warned. Take precautions. See to it. In other words, Constantly care about the condition of your heart. That's what it says. Take care. Lest there be an unbelieving heart. Remember how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 13? This is just not the only places in the New Testament. He says to the church, to the professing believers, examine yourselves in order to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, right? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent 
to make your calling and election sure. Why? That's the battle for assurance. Why? Because the Christian life is filled with bombs dropping on us daily. We're in a war. Bombs, they're there in order to get you to to drift. Usually, slowly. It works better for Satan that way. Imperceptibly. Little at a time. Before you know it, you drifted miles away. Didn't even know you were drifting. If you let it go, and let it go, and let it go, then you're becoming even more callous toward the reality that you're letting it go. You're becoming more and more hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. And so he says, look out, warning, cliff ahead, take care. Now, But look, Joe, if true Christians cannot lose their salvation, then why do they have to take care over their hearts in order not to fall away? The answer is clear. It's verse 12. Because I can say it this way. Because the Bible says so. See, verse 12 is clear that one of the evidences of true saving faith is that you are vigilant to watch over your heart, to hate sin in you, to hate unbelief in you, and to fight to trust in God and in His promises. See, verses 12 to 14, it's the nonchalant, dull of hearing, professing Christians who, who ought to really hear this. It's their hearts that are being hardened more and more. Those are the ones who need to be worried about what you read. In verses 12 to 14. And because of that, this is why the watering down of the gospel and so much of American evangelical Christianity is damning to souls. The watering down the gospel to be escape from Egypt don't need to love the God in the wilderness who delivered you at all. You just want to get out of hell, then pull the lever. Here, repeat after me. Just ask Jesus into your heart. And it's done. You're a Christian. Get baptized. And all along, There's never any life of the Spirit in them. Oh yeah, I used to be a Christian. 
No, they never were. But the sad thing is, many of these people will remain with a strong confidence and they have no love for God or Christ or the true gospel at all. Their life is a life of ongoing, unabated, in love with the world. Not moving toward repentance or not moving toward love for Christ. There's no urgency. There's no, there's no being diligent. They just accepted the truth you told them. Believe. Be saved. Period, end of issue, don't connect it to anything else written in the New Testament. We'll deal with the other stuff in a separate book or whole different category. They're unconnected. And so I did that many years ago. And if they're still churchgoers, every Sunday when Jesus walks into the room, through faithful, biblical preaching of the Word. There's nothing happening in them except boredom. These people, by God's grace, are meant to be scared out of their minds into coming to Christ saved. They should be scared at the prospect that their present life may be indicating they have never been born again or partakers of Christ. Now I end it this way. On the other hand, dear believer, that daily, that daily process of feeling your own Sin, even in your good deeds, falling back again on the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his perfect life put to your account, not yours. His death for your sin, done. All is a gift of his love for you. That, that daily being drawn in, therefore, to press with communion with the Lord through prayer. The daily hating the hardness of your heart when it creeps up towards the Word of God or God. And turning again and again and again and being drawn to feed upon the Scripture and the Word of God. Fighting to trust in God and His promises and His commandments when unbelief arises in your heart. Say, no, 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 no. I got, I got a scripture for that. that. I ain't going that way. Doing all of this in the community of the saints, verse 13, that gives you assurance. That gives you, it rises. It's meant to rise in you. So look at that. But I sin. No, duh. But do you, you feel the, 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 the hatred for it? And the grace of your Lord Jesus and the presence of the Spirit in your daily life. Do, do you see how, wow, the Word of God is my life. 
You should just be bouncing up and down in those moments and say, and, and read verses 12 to 14 with this wonderful confidence. Look at that. That's amazing. I love him. And so, that assurance comes again and again as you lay your head down on the pillow at night. And you know, well, tomorrow, the future, it's not what's going to happen. It's, oh, I know what's going to happen. I belong to you. You began it. I'll wake up a believer, not because of me, but because of you. So I will wake up again tomorrow, taking heed to the words, take care. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God because my God will cause me to continue to persevere in faith to the end. This seems like a really good time to worship our great God and Savior, the one who preserves us to the end. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your Son, even as you had your Apostle Paul say it, that you didn't spare him, but you gave him up for us all. And everything that flows after that is this assurance of your preserving grace, no matter what comes, because it is your preservation that will always cause us to be diligent and persevere to the end. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives individually and amongst us corporately right now, this morning. To the glory of Jesus' name, amen.